Welcome everyone. This is the first episode of Bayou Chronicles. We're your hosts. I'm Crystal. And I'm Bethany. So we wanted to do this uh, little fun podcast project. Um, it kind of started just randomly. It start. I literally posted an Instagram story and it snowballed from there and Crystal <laughs> DM'd me and was like, 100% yes, I would like to get in on this, and we kind of hit the ground running. Yeah, we are former co-workers, um, and we probably spent most of our day talking about Any, stuff like this anyway. Whatever makes your skin crawl and full body chills, that that's, kind of is our jam. that's what we talked about, passing the time at work, <laughs> even out of work texting each other, messaging each other, crazy, creepy things we found on the World Wide Web, you know? Yeah. So, we just decided that we wanted to start this podcast, and we've been researching some cases, trying to see and figure out um, which ones that we wanted to start with first. Um, Our first one, I guess we were kind of like a go big or go home kind of situation, um, the first case that we are going to talk about is the Gainesville Ripper. And I will be the first to admit, I am a Floridian, born and raised for 19 years of my life, and I had never heard of this case until Crystal messaged me about it, and she was like, I have the perfect episode for us to do to start out, and I'm kind of ashamed that I'd never heard of this, even though it did happen four years before I was born. Oh, oh. <laughs> Um... But, so, I guess the reason I did kind of pick this case was because he was captured in Florida, but he is from where we are doing this podcast in Louisiana. So, um, it was kind of a cool little crossover. Um, So, yeah. It's a cool crossover because I am from that area in Florida. I spent a lot of my childhood in Gainesville, even on the campus and around the area where it did happen. And I now live in Treeport, where we came together, and now you get Bayou Chronicles. <laughs> yep. So, another kind of creepy part about this case is the fact that um, I have friends and family members who actually know this killer, who we'll talk about, um, Danny Rowling. Um, they actually knew him personally. Um, he went to the church that we'll talk about. Um, that was uh, the same place that my mom went to high school. So he was going to church there while my mom was in high school there. Um, I have friends who have like really creepy stories about him. So it was kind of interesting to do a case that is kind of close to home. Which gave me absolute goosebumps when she brought the story to my attention. We have actually talked about this in the past um, when we were telling, you know, stories you get into that conversation and it just kind of like word vomit and she's like yeah my mom knew a serial killer and I'm like you can't just drop that knowledge on somebody <laughs> and then when we got serious about this podcast I started watching documentaries I even messaged my mom and I s- literally while Crystal was at work I sent her a, like one of those voice text messages <laughs> and I said how are you not going to tell me that the person that we are researching actually was the idea for Scream? So, 
Um, Amazon Prime, if you're listening, sponsor us. I went directly to Amazon Prime, purchased Scream, even though I've watched it a million <laughs> times, and watched it, and it just, like, blew my mind. So shout out to Wes Craven, because that's a good one. <sighs> Alrighty, to start this off, we're going to do this a little dysfunctional. Everything that we looked up, everybody always talks about... The killings, the murders, which we're not taking away, we will respectfully talk about them, but we're going to do this a little different. We're going to start talking about Danny Rowling and his childhood and what led up to this. Let's get into his sick, twisted mind. Because there's a lot of people out there that say you can't be a serial killer without anything happening in your childhood, but when you look at everything that happened to Danny, it was rough. It was rough. I think like, textbook... He's textbook. They even brought the well, FBI yeah. and made a perfect profile of him, and it was it was spot on. But Danny Rowling was born in May 26, 1954, which I'm random, and numbers and stuff and coincidences resonate with me, and my birthday is literally the day after that. Obviously, a lot of years in between, but I, I got the chills. I got the chills. Um, but he was born here in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is where we are recording this podcast, like we said in the beginning, um, to Claudia and James Rowling. Um, his father was actually a police officer, and, like, isn't that just, like, isn't that just, you know? I mean, it's it, sad. It's sad, and it's, like, the polar opposite. Like, your your child, you protect people. But his dad was kind of a douche. He so. was. He was. When you look at it, his father was an alcoholic. He beat his mother in front of him. Even when Danny was one years old, his father said that he was not crawling mm-hmm. like a normal baby should and beat him. And as a parent, I can't imagine beating either of my children because they can't crawl. So he had a rough, rough start to life. And I'm not saying his mom had anything to do with it, but she had plenty of opportunities to leave and... Leave. And that's a topic. That's a topic we'll probably talk about a lot. Um, because I know we can say things, and I say that too. I say that too. Why didn't she leave? Why didn't she pack up her kids? Um, because his brother was born several years later, so there were two, two children in the household, Um, But when you look at the mom, when Danny turned 11, his mom actually tried to commit suicide, and she was placed into a psychiatric ward for several months, which you're getting beat up by your father. Mom's mom's not really... Trying to check out. Mom's not really helping. She's got her own depression she's dealing with, tries to kill herself because of the home life, and then you're just kind of left with the dad that's still continuing to literally beat the crap out of you. It's definitely a sad childhood. Like, I want to feel sorry for him, because if it was any other, like, kid who didn't turn out to be a douchebag, I'd feel bad for him, but... And I kind of feel like dad had the telltale signs as well, because when he was around five or six, they got a... Uh, a dog, a family dog, and the his dad literally beat the dog to death in right in front of Danny. So it's just it's a rough childhood, a rough start to life. Does that mean you can grow up and kill eight no. innocent people? No, but that's one thing I wanted to talk about because 
when you watch documentaries about serial killers, that's one thing they bring up. They're not getting that nurturing, the affection, yeah. the love that, you know, a mom and a dad is supposed to give you if you have both parents in your life. And that is a big indicator of why the flip, the switch inside of people's brain finally flips and they just start going on a killing spree. All I can tell you is I don't feel sorry for him after you hear about the murders. I, I don't, just don't feel bad for him at I all. I don't feel bad, but I mean, that's rough. That's rough. Like I said, don't go out and kill people. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard not to <laughs> kill someone. Yeah, like. I'm, I know we're laughing, but like, it's this, yes. Um, <laughs> have things happened to us? Yes. Do have I? I wanted to strangle someone out of frustration, but... Yeah, but you don't... Have you? No. No, that's a big difference. That is balance, people. That's the balance you need in your life. You have to know when to metaphorically strangle somebody and, like, actually physically with your hands strangle somebody. And that's what we're getting into here. Okay, so a little bit about him as he grew up um, after coming into that really rough childhood. Um... Danny ended up dropping out of high school in 1971, and he enlisted in the Air Force, um, which is also funny because we're currently sitting on an Air Force base mm-hmm. as we record this. He actually tried to join the Navy first, and the Navy kind of was like, yeah, no, but that's not going to work for us. You got a lot of issues going on, which is funny that the Air Force took him to me. I mean, that's just like... You know, shout, shout out to the United States Air Force. Um, well, they ended up in, in, you know, in their court or whatever. You, I don't know what that phrase is. I don't even know what you say there. Anyway, whatever. But <laughs> in their defense is what I'm saying. They ended up um, discharging him with a personality disorder and for having a drug problem and stealing a bicycle. Um, so, you know, they did get rid of him. But... He did end up after that moving back to Shreveport, and um, this is kind of where it comes full circle back to my life, which feels kind of weird to even say. It's so creepy. He actually starts attending, do I need to say the name of the church? Should I say it? Um, I think for legal purposes. And well, and for... the fact that I don't want, I mean, people can look it up. But, I'm not going to say it, but he started attending a church that coincidentally is, like, really close to my house. Like, very close to where I currently live. And for all the weirdos Um, out there, please don't try to find her address. (laughs) But anyway, so he came back to church there, and that is actually where he met his future wife um, by the name of, oh god, I'm going to butcher her name, Omather Malco. Halco, sorry. Halco. Omather Halco. Yes. That is a mouthful. We are the queens of mispronouncing every single name out there. So you can come for us. I'm just going to laugh at you because... We already know. Yeah. We already know. Um, I just want to take a moment to say, or ask rather, how her mom would have came up with that name. It has an apostrophe and everything in it. Oh, Mather. But anyway, so it's important to know that Oh, Mather was petite and she had dark hair. This would be important 
later on in his cases. We are foreshadowing the future. Um, yes. Um, I actually asked some people on social media if they knew anything about this guy because when I first heard about him and started putting the pieces together into his connections um, to my personal life, I was like kind of weirded out. But um, from the sources of people that I have talked to firsthand that you know knew him or went to this church with him, they said that when he came back from the army, he was a what they all considered a decent kid, maybe a little troubled. Um, some of them said that they sang in the choir with him. So I cannot imagine him singing in a choir at all. Like, can you imagine a Pentecostal church choir I having Danny sing? I can't, but one person that makes me think of that is Ted Bundy because he was your all-together average guy, yeah. help people, and then, you know, look what he was doing in his free time. So I think it's just like that, like they said, he had a personality <sighs> complex. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's so hard for me to imagine him, like, singing gospel a, a gospel hymn in a choir. It's basically modern while he's sitting there thinking about the next person he wants to sexually assault like i don't, I don't know it's modern 1990s dr jekyll and mr hyde yeah but anyway so um he, they got married a few years later they had a baby named kylie um i actually which, didn't know that yeah i wonder what happened to her though kind of weird She's probably kept her identity I would. a secret, like a lot of children of serial killers. There are some that go on to write books and talk shows, but some prefer to just fly under the I radar. I think I would want to fly under the radar. I don't think I'd want many people. Well, I don't know, but here I am talking about this connection to my life. But I don't know. I guess it's different when it's your father who you... We're, ran- we're yeah. random people on the yeah. internet, but I could, I mean, I could see why you wouldn't want any connection with that. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Danny did treat his wife and child kind of like his dad treated him and his brother and his mom. He just wasn't a good person to them. Um, I think this falls on like a generation abuse. You gotta break the cycle. Even though maybe your father may have treated you like that as a child, you just went on to be... I feel like that's just what he learned. Like, he just learned that this is how a man acts, and this is how a man takes care of his family, and he didn't have a positive role model. He could have, because his mom stayed. She kept coming back. She tried to leave several times with her sons, but she I think James was also very, um... Manipulative. Well, yeah, manipulative, but, like, he's very, what's the word charismatic in his the sense that like he could woo her back that's a lot that's a word that you hear a lot of serial killers described how are we to know and i kind of just thought about something how are we to know that his father never killed somebody it's not mentioned it's not mentioned but like it's just a thought how many i mean he was a police officer how many people did he shoot and that really... weren't even justified that that's another just... that's a topic for another day i know we could like snowball on that we could talk about that um so yeah eventually omather i think she finally just was like i ain't putting up with this but she was a little bit more strong-headed than claudia was because when she left 
she left. Like, she wanted out. And, and Danny actually did physically to her face say that he was going to kill her. So I think that was just kind of like, um, yeah, no, that's a no for me, but I'm filing for divorce. And she got the heck out of Dodge, you know? And so when they got divorced, that's when Danny kind of like really, I guess you would say, went off the deep end for the back and lack of a better term. He ended up doing like a spree of robberies in Louisiana, Alabama, um, Georgia, just all over. Um, and it actually ended up being a Winn-Dixie um, robbery that ended up getting him put in jail for six years. So, uh, he even raped a woman the day after the separation that looked exactly like his wife, yeah. which is what we were talking about. And I really think this is the thing that set him off, that started all the robberies, the sprees, the jail time, and then eventually the murders. Yeah. I mean, I think some, I think he, in his own sick, twisted way, maybe he loved her, and then her doing this was like him abandoning her, or her abandoning him, and it just kind of set him off. Because that's the only, I mean, I can't justify it. I wouldn't even begin to know how to justify it, but in my head, that's the only thing that makes sense. It just goes back to the childhood. His mom, his mom kept coming back to his father, but Danny's wife, actually had the courage to leave so it, he, it probably confused him yeah like he thought the way that his dad was treated his mom maybe he thought that was what love was which is know, sad which is sick. which is sad <laughs> so bad um but after he got out of prison that's when he ended up coming back to shreveport again um he's just like any other person that's from shreveport once you go it's impossible to get out like you always come back to shreveport but anyway <laughs> Um, I can't confirm this. <laughs> um, this is when, I guess, well, technically it's his first attempted murder when he tried to kill his father. Uh, I would I would agree. That was in 1990. <laughs> um, he actually shot his father in the back and in the, the head. In the head. Yeah. And he actually had to have surgery and he's missing a portion of his ear. Yeah. I read um, from a source that was um, it was basically his mom giving the details of it and she was saying that um, the two of them had gotten into a fight. James and Danny had gotten into a fight and uh, James stormed off and brought back a gun. And as soon as she saw the gun, she ran to the bedroom and was, like, covering her ears or covering her eyes. And she heard um, some gunshots, and she just knew that her son was dead. Um, and when she had finally came out to see, like, what was going on, that's when she saw her husband, James, on the ground with a bullet in his head. But he was still, like, conscious and alive, and he survived. But... Danny had just completely just ran off and just took off and into the unknown and that's when he kind of a lot crazy. of a lot of red flags here yeah like I'm sitting here as a mom and I'm thinking okay I've let my children be abused and I'm not I'm really not victim blaming here um this is just like my personal opinion you're watching your children be physically abused verbally abused your son is now a grown adult 
This is 1990. He was born in 1954. He's very much a grown adult. You're physically seeing him shoot your husband, and then you still continue not to do anything. And then he goes on this murderous rampage directly after this. Yeah, he just... I don't know. He's the type of person that I just really want to or wish that I could just talk to in a controlled environment where I wasn't afraid to die and say he was really lashing out like what were you trying to accomplish like was it like an intention seeking kind of I feel like he was asking for help or not necessarily asking for help like his father was was the main thing the main thing where he was getting his abuse from it's probably his father's probably who he blames for his wife leaving him because he thought if he treated his wife like that she'd stay with him and it didn't work out that way so he probably in his chemically imbalanced brain shooting his father would get rid of all of his issues and yeah he had a bad shot i'm very sorry my guy (laughs) not quite close enough just skimmed off the ear you know well, after this, this is like when, I guess, it kind of started his downfall of who he was. Because after this is um, when he gets, hops the bus and goes to Florida. Um, <laughs> and I guess he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do here, but <laughs> I don't know why Florida. Uh, I I know why Florida. Um I know exactly why Florida is where all the weirdos are. It is where all the drug addicts are. Tell me one thing that you can't find in Florida. There's not. We have everything. It's just like that little, like, trend that was like, you're supposed to write, like, you do your birth date, and you put Florida at the end of it, and it's supposed to come up with a really hilarious, like, news article, because everybody has one, and I don't remember, I don't remember what mine was. I swear mine was, like, something about a guy thinking that he tried to wrestle an alligator on bath salts or something. And this is probably a true story. I just want to add that. <laughs> bath salts, you can't even imagine. I'm living and growing up in Florida, I have literally seen it all, and even when you look on documentaries on other serial killers, for some reason, Florida is, like, a hot commodity people think they can come to the sunshine state which is not very sunny apparently it's very dark and just go on a killing rampage and they think they'll never get caught and uh yes you will (laughs) eventually so now it's gonna get a little dark we're gonna kind of talk about what he was up to while he was in um actually in Gainesville so Bethany will tell you a little bit about that so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the mood, and for people that have never traveled to the great state of Florida and have never traveled down to Gainesville, um, I spent a lot of time there, like I said, um, in my childhood. It's a rough area. It's a rough area. So I don't know if he intentionally chose to go to Gainesville or he kind of just hopped on the bus and that's where the bus took him. Well, did you see that in the a lot of the um, research that I was reading, reading about that said that literally days before these murders, Gainesville was rated the top 
place to live with a family. Like, it was rated, like, the nicest place in the United States to live with your family. And it was. And that might be why my my take on Gainesville is different than what the mood I'm setting that I'm about to talk about. Because Gainesville now, which it's not, I'm not dogging on Gainesville. Um, it's still a really nice area to go. I mean, I've traveled there a lot as a child. But the Gainesville that I know talking about this and the Gainesville, as Crystal just said, are two different areas. So you got to think about that. These people had no idea. It literally rocked their entire world when this started happening. So let's jump on into it. Um, so on August 24th, 1990, Danny, for whatever reason, was inside of the local Walmart and he caught the attention of two girls and as Crystal said before, he definitely has a type. All, all of these we're going to talk about definitely had a description that resembled his ex-wife. All petite, mm-hmm. you know, dark-haired, young females. These, these girls were young. They were young. And Sonia Larson and Christina Powell were shopping in Walmart, you know, of all places. Why, why Walmart? You know, we go in there to people watch. We don't go in there to have a serial killer stalk us. They're shopping for their brand new apartment that they have just gotten together for school. Um, they're getting stationary for class because class is about to start. You know, probably a few odds and ends for the house because it is their first, mm-hmm. you know, day in the apartment. It's going to be their first night sleeping in the apartment, or so they thought, when Danny notices them. And he stalks them all through Walmart, I'm assuming. We don't actually know, but we have to assume. He watched them. They checked out. They left. He continued to follow them all the way to their apartment uh, complex and watched them for several hours outside. It's just so creepy. Like, I wonder if they felt like they were being watched. I, I, I get that feeling a lot, like myself. Yeah. That somebody's watching me. And I want to say, we don't know, I mean, we have no idea, but he literally watched them for several hours, you know, waited for them to wind down and go to sleep. And one interesting fact, and this made me, like, super grateful, I don't have one of these, it said that most of the apartments he broke into was through the sliding glass door. Yeah. He literally would, like, jimmy, shimmy. A little crowbar into the sliding glass door and even if you have a lock it pops it right open yeah um so if you have one of those in your home i would probably reconsider that well i will say as a side note i don't i didn't see it anywhere else but i know that i read it somewhere that the girls sonia and christina their door was actually left unlocked mm. like and that tells mm-hmm. me that he didn't have to break in because their door was just unlocked and, and i'm just saying lock your door Lock your doors, but like Crystal was saying earlier, back then Gainesville was quiet. A lot of people were moving to the area. University of Florida was like, if you're from Florida, it was the college that you wanted to go to. Why would you um, not lock your doors? They're just safe. They're just, just lock safe. Your door. <laughs> they're the rule one on our channel. But we're gonna make that rule one. Lock Keep your doors. your doors locked. Okay. 
Keep them blocked. They might still get in, but, like, maybe that's that few seconds for you to maybe exactly. hear that somebody's breaking into your home and you can, like, find shelter somewhere and grab your gun, your baseball bat, butter knife, I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever you have to do. But, and I'm not going to give him his name yet because at this point in time, is that a pop socket with yeah. lip gloss? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> Anyways, we're not going to give him his name yet because he hasn't been given that yet. But Danny stalked them for several hours, watched them sleep. Like we said, that's, you know, typical afternoon, you know, just watching yeah. two two young freshmen at the University of Florida. I think they were Florida. 17. They yeah. were. They were both. That is ridiculously was, young. It is. And he watched them sleep. That's baby. Um, from... And the responding officer um, walked into probably a scene that, um, I'm, they see a lot, but I know this had to have traumatized them. Oh, 100%. But the responding officer walked in, and um, from what they could kind of pick together, you know, from obviously CSI clues and things, they found that Sonya was attacked first in her bed. Mm-hmm. Um, while she was asleep, it, it seems like this guy, Danny, he likes to attack people when they're sleeping. Watch them sleep for a little bit and then move on in for the kill. But after the medical examiner, you know, gave his findings, Sonia, unfortunately, was stabbed over 20 times. That's ridiculous. Which, if you've watched enough and read enough, that's overkill and typical signs of a sadistic sociopath. Absolutely oh, no feelings, no remorse, way overkill. I'm sure after the first couple of stabs, she she probably bled out and died, oh, yeah. asphyxiated something. So, you know, 20, 20 stabs and then just absolutely, you know, think about there's another young girl sleeping right downstairs Actually, it's kind of amazing how she didn't even hear any of oh, that. Oh, I, I I've thought about well, that. Well, what I was kind of reading was that when he walked in, um, and I, again, I don't know that this is fact. This is just what we've read in research, heard on other podcasts. Um, and the crime scenes are never, like, 100%. Yeah. Like, they're human beings. They give us this evidence, but that might not have been how it happened. Yeah. So, from, like, what I've read in a couple different places or heard was that when he walked in the door, um, Christina was asleep on the couch. No, yeah, Christina was was asleep on on the couch. couch. And he, like, walked up to her and was, like, looking at her trying to decide which one of them he wanted to rape and kill and which one he just needed to get out of the way. And that's typically how he did his murders. He didn't... He He always got rid of one... And then he would take his time with the one that he... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is um, un- unfortunate if you're the latter. I mean, it's yeah. not... But, it, like, how he thought... How he had to sit there and think about that. That you got to be a certain type of person. Oh, yeah. A disgusting person. But he did. He did. He watched Christina sleep downstairs on the couch and made his way upstairs. And, as we said, brutally murdered Sonia stabbing her 20 times and then you know making his way back down and i i thought about that for every murder like there's all not all of them were there two people but how did the other person 
not here. I mean, I know I'm a heavy sleeper, but I'm trying to I'm trying to because picture like right now. Because like I know like in a lot of them, you know, duct tape was a huge thing. Like he used duct tape to Please. bind them and to gag them with it. Mm-hmm. But even with that, you would think it's muffled. Yeah, it, you're still gonna hear stuff. The sound of actually well, this is gonna be creepy to talk about. The, but the actual sound of stabbing a human is being loud. is loud. There's blood splatter. There's things going on. The motion. They're on a bed. You had to hear the like bed moving. Like squeaking or something. Like there's a million different things, different sounds that could have happened. So like, yeah, you have to wonder. And, and it, she was downstairs. Why? She, you know, she could have just easily woken up and ran out. The and house. ran out the door. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. And before, after killing Sonya, he positioned and pulled her body down to the end of the bed as as the responding officer described. And then he proceeded to go downstairs, viciously rape Christina, and begin to mutilating her body, which he had a calling card. And that's another thing that I sat here and was thinking as a woman. His calling card was he mutilated poor Christina and removed both of her nipples. Oh, that just hurts so bad to think about. To think about that literally I get chills. And his calling card is he would mutilate them and remove the nipples. And he would always leave one nipple and take the other with him. Which is just to just think about that. Like, you know, every, you know, every killer has their calling card. And I I just want to know how he landed on this one. Like, what was the thought process like? I think I'm gonna take a nipple home with me, like not a <laughs> not an earring. A nipple. And I don't mean to laugh or make this a joke, but you no, know, normally normally they take an earring or a picture or something, some thing from inside the home that kind of they can look back on and relive the moment, which is just sick. But that's normally how it happens. I think for me, the worst part of the whole. Sonya and Christina murders. The part that always hurts me the most is the fact that her or Christina's parents were just outside of the apartment. Like they were. Like they're you know they're the ones who wanted to check on the house or the apartment because they hadn't heard from the girls in a couple of days and it worried them. mm -hmm. And like I just I don't know how I, I can't even fathom how they must have felt knowing that they just needed someone to check on their daughters or their daughter thinking and they were just thinking that you know Maybe first they, day of college getting ready they forgot to check and they probably at first felt like they were over like being helicopter parents and they were over what's the word can't think of the word that I would be using here, but that, you know, they were just being overprotective. Protective, yes. Um, I know that's probably how they felt. They probably felt at first that, you know, this is just, you know, it's just them thinking too much out of their head and them too being worried. And then I can only imagine how that changed so fast in the instance when they saw, you know, the responding officer's face, because you know his face. It, tell, it to tells tell it all, everything. and they have to give that unfortunate news to the parents. Um, and it's not just like you walk in and you know maybe stab one time. These girls were literally 
they were butchered, butchered, mutilated, and his his calling card. He took he mutilated, chopped off her nipples, took one, left one, and he always liked to place the bodies in some type of derogatory position. Which I'm just uh, there's a lot of calling cards, and we'll talk more about Danny. But he was a lover of horror films, and he definitely lived up to that when he when he committed these murders because it actually looked like a horror movie scene. I'll pause it. And I know I've already mentioned this particular person's name. As a Floridian, you know, you know this person. It's where he was um, finally captured as well. But when the medical examiner, Dr. William Hamilton... Um, did his autopsy on the girls, which there's um, really not much of an autopsy to be performed. We know what happened to them, but they have to do it. In his findings, he actually described the girls' murders as a Ted Bundy-styled killing, um, which chills. Um, that's 100%. I know, I know probably when Danny was reading all this stuff and listening to these people describe him as this, this probably gave him like a, a rush of excitement being described as another, you know, well-known serial killer that, you know, escaped as well, and but was unfortunately finally, or not unfortunately, but thankfully was captured later on. And less than 24 hours later, nine hours later, actually, two miles away, police are called for another uh, wellness check on another young girl fitting the exact same description as Sonia and Christina. Um, she did not show up for work, so being the great friend that they are, they uh, they called and asked for them to just kind of drive by, see if she's home, maybe, you know, she overslept, maybe she's sick, not feeling good, um, which shout out to that person because who knows how long her body could have been left oh, yeah. in her home. Like, Thank goodness uh, Christina's mom did that uh, check because they were in their apartment for two days mm -hmm. before they were found on August um, 26. 27th. What was it? I wrote August 26. Oh, I don't know. Why am I off on my days? I wrote 25th. He's going oh. on 26th. Definitely cut that out then. Oh, it's in my, it's in my, um, this note. Because I said August 24th is when he killed them, and then 26th is when oh, yeah. mom called. Oh, okay. Yeah, 26th. I was like, dude, Lord, I'm one off on all my numbers. She was found, or Christina would have been, I think the she was 27th. Because it was nine it was, hours it was, later. It was, yeah, it was that night. So on August 27th, the responding officer, which coincidentally, Crystal brought to my attention... Um, is the wife of the responding officer that did the wellness check for Sonia and Christina, which I, I knew it was a female responding officer, but I didn't even think to connect the two names together yeah. when I was doing my research. Unfortunate that they have to share, you know, that burden almost, you know, finding a victim, victims, um, of the same killer, which they don't know yet, but, and being spouses. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, you know, 
Ray, which is the man from the first mm-hmm. um, wellness check, you know, he, he had to have felt... I'm sure he that's went... That's heavy. Like, that's not something you just see and can go do your job the next day. Like, that's rough. Like, I can't imagine what I would be thinking if I walked into seeing that. Like, I couldn't have done it. And then... Nine hours later, mm-hmm. your, wife. your wife does the same thing, mm-hmm. but not to say that hers is worse, but I would arguative, argumentatively, you could say that hers was worse. What we're about to talk about, um, Krista, I, I, out of all of them, I think, I don't know why he did the most to her, but she, it, it's just gruesome. And I'm sure, I'm sure Officer Ray, when he went home that night after that, they probably talked about it, you know, over or maybe dinner or they something. Didn't. Or they didn't. Maybe, I mean, I don't know that I could. I don't know that if I wouldn't just shut it out. And I, That's therapy. You have to assume that she was probably comforting him, like, you know, it's another day on the job. Yeah. And then not knowing nine hours later, she was literally going to walk into an even worse crime scene. A lot of therapy probably happened. Oh, my God. Um, Go but, get therapy. Everyone deserves therapy. Yes. Rule number two. Therapy is okay. Shout out. Better help. Yeah. Mental health matters. We'll take a sponsorship from Better Help. But, but nine hours later, which is crazy. It's nine hours later, and it's less than two miles away from Christina and Sonia's apartment, which is, um, if you were living in that radius, that area... I'm just, I'm thinking about all those people, how terrified they were. You couldn't even order a pizza because people were, for some reason, people were convinced, the media was convincing these people that this killer was the pizza man. And if you ordered a pizza, it might be the last day that you're alive on this earth, which, um, if that's how I'm going to go out, uh, pizza, I'll, I'll go out that way. (laughs) But less than two miles away, um... Just let me eat the pizza first. Let me eat the pizza first, and then do as you please. Um, but the responding officers go to do another, uh, wellness check on Krista, and unfortunately, they walk into a scene, like we were saying, is you need mental health matters. You seek therapy, because just the way, just the way that this murder was executed... Um, Krista's body was found on her bed, um, and just a puddle of her own blood everywhere, and this part is just so, so creepy to say, and this is why I was talking about horror movies earlier, and... If you don't like gruesome stuff, you may want to skip ahead. Yeah, trigger warning. Um, the responding officer, she turned around, um, because... They were kind of confused because Krista's body was, you know, sprawled out on the bed, but her head was missing. She had been decapitated. And when the responding officer turned around and, you know, CSI is collecting evidence, they found that her head was placed on a bookshelf that was directly in front of her bed, and her head was actually watching her own body laying on the bed. And I'm, it gives me chills, and that's why I was mentioning horror movies, because Danny, you know, that was something that he was very much into, um, the Halloween, the original Halloween from the 1970s was actually his favorite horror film, don't ask me how they, I know that, I did a a (laughs) lot of research, um, 
on him because I was like, man, what was going on inside of this guy's head for him to just one day want to viciously murder eight people? Um, and that's very much, if you've ever watched any of the Halloween movies, that's definitely a, a Michael Myers move right now, right there. Um, I still have chills thinking about it. It's, it was very theatrical. It was very, very, very much a horror mover. Mover. Oh my god. It was very much a horror movie scene that they walked into. Um, if you want to add anything? No, that that one just always makes me. Um, I'm not. Sad. I'm not taking anything away from Krista. I just don't. I don't feel like talking about hers as much. Um, I don't know what this poor young girl did, but out of all the murders we're going to talk about, hers was the most gruesome, the I most vicious, think so. the it, most degrading. It just, it, I don't know, it just makes me sick to think about. I think I read somewhere that he had used the screwdriver to break into her, her apartment. A sliding glass door. Yeah, and then he hid behind a bookcase or a bookshelf or something and just waited for her. He watched all of them for several yeah. hours before killing them. And all I can think is, like, what did this poor girl do to deserve this? And the answer is nothing. She didn't do anything to deserve it. No one deserves this. Well, maybe he deserves that to happen to him, but, like... I don't know. And it his, just breaks my heart. And he did his calling co- card as co- of course. I can't talk calling card. Of, and of course he did his calling card. Um, both of her nipples were cut off, taking one and leaving one, which is just it just. I'm not trying to make a joke, but it it puts the lotion on the skin, you know. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I thought about when like if I feel like he was taking small things. From different horror movies, um, which obviously that movie came out after this, but y- you get what I'm saying. It's like he took little pieces of of horror movie killers and tried to like make it himself. Because he wasn't original. He wasn't original, um, and he actually, like we said, stayed in Krista's apartment for several hours after even eating some of the food in her kitchen. What serial and killer was just... it that um, every time he would kill someone, he would go in their kitchen and drink a glass of water and then rinse it out? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I feel like it's the like one... Like, that was his thing. It's like... the one from California that he was actually just caught. He was a police officer. Maybe. I don't know. If someone knows, you can... Let us know. Somebody write in. Or maybe I just made that up. But I really think there was. I think it's the guy. What is it? The Golden State Killer? I don't know. Was it the Golden State Killer? Everybody write in to us. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. Who was actually just convicted, actually, and he was actually a police officer back um, when he was committing those crimes. It's so weird that they a lot of these serial killers have, like, they want to go into law enforcement of some kind. All I'm saying is we will be talking about conspiracy theories um, at the end of the month, and maybe we will do a segment on the connection between serial killers and police officers. Not too long after that, the town is freaking out. Um, This is the third young female around the university that is found viciously murdered inside her own home. And then several days later... 
Actually, it was a day later. It was it a day later? Yeah. I feel like this all ha- it, it's it amazing. It happened in three days span. It's um, amazing how quickly he killed all of these people in like yeah. such a short amount of time. Because Sonya and Powell were found on the 26th. Mm-hmm. And then in the early hours of the 27th, that's when Krista was found. Mm-hmm. And then our next two victims were found um, on Tuesday, the 28th. So from the 24th, because uh, Sonia and they Christina... They were there for a few days. Mm-hmm. So from the 24th to the 28th of August. But I'm going to pass it over to Crystal now to talk about Tracy and Manuel. Yeah, so Tracy and Manuel um, were just roommates um manuel was a football player he was kind of stocky just kind of a built guy and um a pretty put that in your put that in your mind he was a pretty big guy he was an athlete so you know he i think it said he was six foot three so he was tall like 250 pounds. pounds even but i don't know but either way he was a big guy um and then um because him not... and Tracy had been friends in high school, so mm-hmm. they had just moved in together. Her parents felt good about it because, hey, he's a big old guy. I think I'd feel pretty safe with my got... daughter living with this buff guy. And up to this point, he's only attacked, you know, petite women that were by themselves. Yeah, so, um, t- 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning, um... Manuel's friends, or Manny as he's called, mm-hmm. his friends started getting worried about him. And um, their friends, one of his friends, um, Tommy Carroll, was sent to check on him. So he gets to the apartment. Um, the maintenance man by the name of Christopher Smith um, went with him and they decided that they were going to go check in the apartment. They knocked on the apartment door. No one was answering. Um, and so Christopher went ahead and opened the door. Well, when they opened the door, that's when they kind of got the shock of a lifetime. Um, That's when they saw Tracy's naked body, um, obviously not exactly posed in the same way that um, Powell and Hoyt had been posed. Um, But they found her posed, or her naked body on the ground in the hallway between the two different bedrooms. And they noticed that there was um, a dark bag sitting above her head. And that is important um, because as soon as they saw that, they freaked out, um, which was understandable. Um, And Christopher just slammed the door and locked it. Um, They waited um, a few minutes and then they returned about five minutes later with the cops when the police had gotten there. Um, And when they went back up to the apartment, the apartment door was now unlocked and the bag above her head was gone. Um, so, I mean, you could assume by what, I mean, the evidence kind of tells you, like, you know, what else could have happened other than they kind of caught him in the act. That kind of sounds like what it was to me. He was still inside the apartment. Now, I mean, like, a lot of the other scenes, um, there were stuff that our research had shown or showed that, uh, he did, like, a really deep cleaning of the apartment or place that they killed the women like he would clean their bodies he would clean mm-hmm. their bathrooms he would whatever the whole area he would try to clean it up as much as possible so he didn't leave any, any and dna every, and every time that he would place the duct tape on them when he was done he would carefully pick it up take roll it, it up and take it mm-hmm. with him you know kind of 
no evidence left behind. Yeah, and it was also noted that Tracy, her hair was wet when they found her. Like, she had a towel mm-hmm. under her body, and she her hair was wet as if he had just, you Which know, is... tried to clean her body and clean his evidence off mm-hmm. of her. Um, I read a really sad part that kind of made me just feel like I was reading a real-life horror movie that said that when he broke into their house, he immediately went after Manuel mm-hmm. or Manny. Well, you and, have to take out the, you the take threat. Out this threat. And he said that he fought with him and that Manny fought pretty hard and he ended up being able to stab him 31 times. And in the midst of him stabbing him is when Tracy actually walked into the room and saw him being murdered by Danny and asked him if he was the one who was doing these killings like and was like you're the one who's doing all this and so she took off and she ran or this is what Danny's account of it was was that she ran went to her room shut the door um he broke the door down got her out of the room and then killed her well he didn't immediately kill her he obviously took her time Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe he said that he, quote, kept her alive on purpose for, like, a fairly long time. He was, in, he was inside like, the apartment for yeah. hours. Um, so I think he really, I like this one, because he kind of got caught in the act, it showed how much time he literally spent with each person in there. Um, it's just, it seems like with each murder, murder he was just getting, like, progressively, um worse and you have to know by this this is your what is this is your fifth fifth fourth and fifth murder yeah he's gotten more practice in in three days you have to assume that the entire city is full-on panic like it is panic because the the news outlets are this all they're talking about i mean rightfully so you know, five people have just been viciously murdered within a uh, several block radius. All young college students of the University of Florida. They're telling you on the news that it could be the pizza man. I mean, that was mentioned so many times. That's why I made that joke earlier. You couldn't order pizza. Um, you couldn't get your cable fixed. Like, the cable guy coming over could be um, the killer. And all the local pawn shops and gun shops were literally selling out of every single type of weapon because, rightfully so, these people were afraid to even leave their home, go to to school, go to class, go to work. Even if in your home you're not safe, though. No, because he's breaking breaking into your home. To your sliding glass doors. That needs to be taken out of every home. Yeah. So, after this, you know, people are completely petrified, obviously, and rightfully so. Um, but Danny is not even on the forefront of people's minds. Like, that's not... He's not... Oh, he's not... He's um, not even a suspect. And actually, um, there was another suspect. The guy named Edmund, who, like, was really, I think, is a big case of the wrong place at the wrong time. He was... was a prime He was almost wrongfully convicted of this murder. And I was reading, um, you know, you know how you go down the the dark web we all fall down into the rabbit holes uh-huh. when i was doing research for this and i actually read that kid he had a he had a rough life he was getting into trouble but he actually um ended up graduating from the university of florida after all of this happened oh wow 
I mean, because, like, he had a rough, because it was, like, I think something was, like, he got kicked out of a friend's apartment that was happened to be the same mm-hmm. apartment that mm-hmm. um, Tracy Manuel had been killed, and just, like, all kinds of just, like, random yeah. evidence linked Just back a to young him. kid doing stupid stuff, and somebody happened to mention his name to the police, which is good. Get, report stuff to the police, but I feel like you should kind of maybe do a little bit of looking up on this person because he was literally almost convicted of these murders now i think this is the funny part and it's not really funny at all it's just we have dark humor so we laugh at literally everything i think it's just he was danny was meant to be caught one way or another kind of thing it was all meant to happen or he wanted to um i saw that um while all this was happening and they were trying to catch um, or track down Edmund and accuse him of the crime. Danny mm-hmm. and his drug dealer mm-hmm. um, friend, basically, um, had almost been caught robbing the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was a bank robbery. And while they were trying to chase down Danny, that's when they found and came across his little campsite of horrors, as mm-hmm. I call it. Um, and this is when he gets his actual name. This is when the media comes yeah. out with the Gainesville Ripper. And so now they find this campsite of things that, at first look, they had no idea was even connected to the Gainesville Ripper. They just thought it was this random bank robber that living out in the middle of... Um, now talk about yeah. wrong place at the wrong okay. time. Well, actually, I read um, somewhere that the tent and mattress that he was getting at Walmart... Like, that's the same Walmart and the same trip when, when he you, bought that when he saw and first saw um, Sonia and, and Christina. Christina. So, like, that's so creepy. But, um, so, yeah, that's when they collected all this evidence that actually would end up convicting him. They just didn't even know it at the time. They just kind of got really lucky, if you ask me. The media is dropping this name. They're giving him the name, which is which is weird. Why do we why do we name serial killers? Like I'm for it. Um it's like a trademark, but this is when they finally come up up with the Gainesville Ripper because you know, body 4 and 5 have been found and the medical examiners are putting all this evidence together and they're realizing that all five people were stabbed with the same knife each time. Mm-hmm. And he's cutting their clothes off. He's viciously ripping the bras off of the girls before he mutilates them and removes the nipple. And it came out to be, it was a seven-inch long combat knife, which is what they found yeah. at the campsite. But, again, they still hadn't connected it yet. They right? hadn't. They just thought, oh, there's this... Un- Random druggie. Unfortunate dude that just happens to have <sighs> a really big knife and all this other random, random stuff, stuff in the middle of nowhere. Well, okay, so after this whole thing, you know, Danny escapes them. He actually cannot, apparently, stop robbing to save his life. Apparently, he's a little klepto. I think this just comes um, back to my theory that he wanted... he. He wanted to be caught. Yeah, I mean, he's had I don't a rough, know. he's had like, a rough childhood, ra- rough, you know. He wife divorced him, dad's beaten him, 
kicked out of the military, can't stay out of jail. Then he starts killing, and I feel like he just was like, please catch me. Please catch me before I do anything else. Well, he ended up um, doing a robbery of a Winn-Dixie on a Saturday afternoon in September. Um, Which, have you heard of Winn-Dixie? Yeah, we used to have them here. Okay, because I was going to say that. Or did we used to have Piggly Wigglies here? You have Piggly Wigglies, because Winn-Dixie is like, if you're from Florida, that is... That is our. Publix was the thing from Florida. That's a newer. Winn Dixie oh, okay. is the OG, but yeah, shout out Maybe to Publix was, yeah. too. I could take a, a chicken tender sub right now. Oh, see, I've only been to like Publix like three times in my life, four times. Publix is the place to shop, but when we are known for Winn Dixies, it's like Piggly Wiggly's the original. There's not a lot left than Winn Dixie than Publix, but yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't fact. even think I've ever been to a Piggly Wiggly. I've always just seen them. It's really cheap. Um, they're always really it sounds cute. cold and dirty and My looks like it's still from the 50s. My mom used to tell me that when there was one here, they used to, like, all, like, they would find a friend with a truck and they would just go sit in the parking lot of the Piggly Wiggly because it was, like, the Walmart of <laughs> Shreveport back in it's the a 80s. Good- it's a good place to shop. In my hometown, we only ha- there's only one left. They got rid of all the surrounding ones. But if you hmm. have, you know, 20 bucks in your bank account, you're going to be able to get several meals. Oh, nice. Anyway, um, now that we went down that rabbit, rabbit hole. <laughs> um, he robbed the this Winn-Dixie, and um, strangely enough the store manager shout out to the name of randy wilson because i think he just became like the og superstar (laughs) he actually followed rolling as he left the super center like got in his car and followed him and when they call like when the police arrived he was able to tell him like exactly where rolling was so that they could the police could pursue him. So why they for why him. was this guy not hired by the local police department to be a detective? I, I don't feeling. know if he was like so like amped up on adrenaline that he was just like I just gotta get in the car and go after. Well, him. you gotta remember at this point the news and the FBI has been called in. They've put this profile out. They've given a brief description. Like I don't know if I'd have the nerve to follow anybody. And I'd be he, afraid I'd get killed. He maybe just got that feeling. He's like he looks like the guy they're saying on the news. He's being kind of creepy. And when Dixie, I'm gonna get in my car and go for a ride. Which kudos to him. Yeah, kudos, major. Cause I don't think I could do that. But Rowling ended up crashing his car and the police arrested him so um a few days after his arrest is when the Gainesville Ripper story um like hit the front page and was like starting to become like a national thing um everyone started to know about it everyone started freaking out um but they still hadn't connected Danny to Gainesville like it it really wasn't something that they had connected. Um, but as a little turn of events, while they were investigating, we're going to come back to good old Shreveport. <laughs> um, good old Shreveport. While, yeah, so while Gainesville and the FBI were investigating this um, case, they had put out a notice um, all over the country for similar crimes um, that they were investigating. And, well, wouldn't you know it, that there were, uh, there was a triple homicide here in Shreveport with really, really, really similar 
like trademark characteristics. characteristics of the Gainesville murders. Um, and this one actually happened in 1989 um, in November, so about a, almost a full year before any of this other um, other and, murders. And happened. what was crazy is they had like the FBI had like a list of like 600 people. Mm-hmm. And once they got that tip of Shreveport, it took the list down to, like, maybe a handful. Yeah. Um, and they also noted that they had Danny, who was being wanted here in Shreveport for the attempted murder of his father. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now they have this man in custody who's from Shreveport for the attempted, and he's wanted for the attempted murder of his father. And there was murders here in Gainesville, or in Gainesville, that match a triple homicide that happened in Shreveport, where he's from. So you have to be thinking these people at this point are like, ding, ding, ding. Um, so, uh, as much as we think that this is like the nail in the coffin, they still thought it was a little flimsy, didn't really think too much of it. Um... Which is absolutely absurd to me when I was doing all my research. I know, because... You have all this connecting dots literally sitting in your lap, and you're like, ah, we better look at some other people. For me, it was like, they mentioned that, or something mentioned that whoever killed the people in Shreveport, with the female in particular, that they, um, I think um, one of the sources that I had read, it was like somebody had written basically a paper about it, said that he cleaned his, the female victim, with blue-green liquid soap, which I'm assuming is Dawn. I'm thinking Dawn. Dawn. When I was reading that, too, I was like, it's just Dawn Dawn. dish soap. Yeah, so he cleaned her with Dawn and then posed her in a position for maximum effect. Like, that's like... It's just... That's him. It's just like I've been saying, he was such a, a horror movie buff that he was literally making his own, like screen scenes yeah you know like when i think when i was looking over the similarities of the case there was it was stuffed down to the clean of the body mm-hmm. it was um the like the fact that he used duct tape the fact that mm-hmm. where he the killing happened was clean same knife um, same, same weapon. kind of knife same kind of forced injury mm-hmm. um both of them all the victims that were female were raped and mutilated their bodies were put on display um, so, like, to me, that's an up, open and shut case. Like, they have to be connected. Like, hire us as detectives, because I, I would have <gasps> thrown him immediately into jail exactly. right then and there. So, that's when, um, they started looking at the evidence that they collected from the bank robbery that he, they found at his campsite. Um, and some of the items that they found were bedding, a gun, a ski mask, um, a cassette tape and a screwdriver. Did you listen to the what was on the cassette tape? I did. I'm okay, and I wrote some notes here. Let me get my handy dandy notebook. Because um, it really freaked me out when I was like listening to what he was saying. The, was it the one for his mom and his brother? Um, yeah, but it's like it's like the very end, like when he's leaving. 
Oh, I don't know if I read. I listened to the one they found on the campsite when it was. It was kind of like a yeah. goodbye. Well, yeah, goodbye it was like a, tape. Yeah, it was like a goodbye tape, and it's probably the same one I might we're not have heard about. All of it. But like he was just talking about that, and he was um, talking about how he was. This is Danny rolling underneath the stars tonight, and then it's like at the end of the farewell, he's like, "I'm signing off. I got some things I got to do." Yeah, and then that's and when, that's yeah. when he went to get yeah. killed. And I'm like, that's such a sick foreshadowing. Almost. And he like, gave himself a number too. Mm-hmm. He gave him. He said, "I want, I want to kill eight people." And yeah, that's exactly the amount of people he ended up killing before he was caught. Yeah, and that's crazy to me too. And that's another thing. Like, is that why he wanted to get caught after that? Because he had killed eight people. Which is crazy. And the thing, literally, the thing that got him that, like you said, the nail in the coffin. Like, they, they did collect semen. Um, mm-hmm. He raped several of the girls. Um, but you got to remember, this is the 1990s. DNA back then is, like, worlds different from oh, what yeah. it is today. Like, you can literally give a swab of DNA, and you'll have the results, like, within the day. Um, but so th- that wasn't even the thing that caught him. And in my mind, I'm thinking, they literally, they have that? Yes. It was a single strand of pubic hair yeah. found on Tracy's body that was the indicator. And I'm like, one single hair. Like, even for the 90s, though, that is so impressive to me. That When I was reading that, it was. It was impressive because, um, I'll let you keep going. But there's more on that that I wrote down in my notes. I've, I've. I'm really scared for my mind because it is sad that the good stuff, which there's not very much good stuff in the oh, story. Yeah. I didn't write down as much in my notes, but all the stuff that was like, man, this is like, this dude is a weirdo. I like bolded it, <laughs> circled it, outlined yeah. it, wrote it down several times because I was like, I'm, I've got to talk about this. So... After he was arrested, they still didn't really have enough to um, charge him with the murders, but they were able to charge him with, like, the bank robbery and the Winn-Dixie robbery. Um, and he's actually found guilty of those in 1991 mm-hmm. um, and given a life sentence. So he was in jail at least for life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they that's... Weren't, they weren't done. They, they weren't they done. They came back for more. Um... I do want to talk a little side note about the fact, just so we can react to this, about the fact that he had um, that lady, Sandra London, who was, like, in love with him and, like, wrote him love letters and stuff in prison. Did there's, you read about that? There, yes, and there's always them. Back when, back when, okay, so when the Ted Bundy thing was happening, my mom was actually uh, a small child. She was still young when mm-hmm. all that, that was back in the 70s. Um... And my grandparents, I even asked them about it, too, because they got to watch it on the news. Like, yeah. actually on the news. And my and my granny was always like, there was literally, she was like, I'll never forget it. You could watch them, cat. they would actually show on the news him, like, at his court hearings. The lines and lines of women, the courtrooms would literally be packed with women in love with him. Mm-hmm. And he's out here killing women yeah and that's how that's how it was for danny he had women writing in to him he had women confessing their love so like this lady she did the same thing and she was trying to convince everybody that she loved him and that she wasn't after you know anything um trying to take advantage of him he doesn't have anything he's in prison for the rest of his life right but like 
apparently, I like highlighted this in my notes because I thought it was funny. But she made um, media appearances, including the Geraldo show. Do you remember that? The name sounds familiar, but nothing's, like, coming to you my mind. You will have to Google him. He was, like, this super, like, I don't want to say avant-garde because that's totally the wrong word. But, like, just look him up. Flamboyant? Is that a better Kind word? of. Kind of. But I loved it. And I used to, like, watch it with my mom and, like, my Cuban grandmother. Like, that would always kind of be playing. And I remember watching it. And I obviously don't remember this because I was way too young. But I remember seeing, like, reruns and episodes of, of oh Geraldo. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, we really didn't get any kind of information about the Gainesville killings and him killing them until after he was in prison, like, from his own mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the investigative team, um, decided to use his blabbering mouth, basically, to nail him um so they actually arranged for another inmate um Mm -hmm. bobby lewis to um almost be a spy i guess you could say which snitches get stitches but like (laughs) the stitches in this case were needed because he he ratted him his own self out oh yes 100 percent. so like he would tell lewis stuff in like excruciating detail um And that's when he um, admitted that he had decided to kill when he was in prison for the robberies that he went to, um, that that robberies that happened, like, after he got divorced. He probably thought, I've already done time. My life's not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so, Rowling and Lewis um, were planning to, like, escape, and they were planning to do all this just, I don't even know, they were just weird. I think they're just strange (laughs) to me. Um, When the worlds collide... (laughs) Um, but eventually Rowling did say that he wanted to confess, but that he would only do it through Bobby Lewis. Um, and it was very weird. I know in some documentaries they kind of, like, show, um, how involved Lewis was in, like, every detail of his confession. Um, but he said that he had kill he wanted to kill eight people while in prison and he would um but as he was confessing to all the Gainesville crimes that's when he told them that um after the trial he would clear up the Shreveport homicides he wouldn't say anything else about it but that's all he would say Hmm. um so they go through the trial um the only person that he had to support him the entire time was the Sandra London lady, who I think actually became his fiance at that point, which I don't understand how you propose to someone for prison. Like, It's Florida. <laughs> it's Anything Florida. Anything happens in Florida. It's Florida. Um, so he took sole responsibility for everything. Um, he ended up pleading guilty. Um, they... In that... In... That's what I wrote down in my notes. That was another, the, that was the creepy thing. When they did all this and they were trying to get him to confess to all of this, they let him know that actually they did have that pubic hair. When they brought him into the room and they asked if they could have, 
you know, collect a couple of hairs, which is awkward to yeah. just ask, a, you know, I know he's a serial killer, but ask a grown man, hey, sir, can I have a few a- hairs from your genitals? Mm-hmm. And without missing a beat, Danny takes two fistfuls of, hair. of pubic hair and rips it off of his body. In front of his female public defender. Didn't even make a face, no sign of pain. And, like, if that's not, like, signs of a sociopath, I don't know what is. I can't even tweeze my eyebrows. I know, without being Without making some kind of face <laughs> or noise. Um, so, during the trial, they watched videotaped confessions that had been made. Um, and it honestly, um, I think... When I was looking at it, it only took the jury a little bit of time um, to say that he was guilty. The plea of guilty, yeah. Ple- yeah. and he did plead guilty, and I read somewhere that said that um, I mean, when they told him that if he pleads guilty, it most likely meant a death conviction. Um, and that's why I kept saying... He still saying, chose it. That's why I kept saying that I think he was just like... He wanted to be caught, like, maybe he couldn't kill himself, and this is... Yeah. He knew. So, um, out of respect for talking about everything that happened and everyone's part about this, um, you know, he was convicted of that, and so now let's circle back around to those Shreveport murders that he needed to clear up. Um, this is his trigger. This is where it all started. Mm -hmm. Um... The story behind it is that he had been working at a local Mexican restaurant called Ponchos. You mm-hmm. ever been to a Ponchos? Mm-hmm. They were my favorite because you could raise the flag when you needed someone's help. Mm-hmm. Um, loved Ponchos. We used to go there every Sunday after church. Um, but he was working at one, and the manager fired him. And he, like, lashed out was threatening to kill the manager and another person that worked there. And rather than kill them, he decided that he was going to kill the girl that he had been stalking. Um, it was actually a young girl named Julie Grisham. She He had first spotted her working at a Dillard's in um, what was called South Park Mall, which doesn't exist anymore, but it's where... Um, I don't know if you know where it's at. It's like the big church when there's like a random Burlington yeah, beside the yeah, church. That yeah. was South Park Mall. Oh. So that's where she worked. And so he had followed her to the house, her house, and her father was there. And um, her father and her, I'm assuming it's her nephew because everything that I read said that it was her father and his grandson. But to me, that means that means it's probably her nephew, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Tom was her father, and her nephew was Sean. Um, he said that when he came into the house, he killed the little boy first, which Sean, is, who was eight years old. Which is just on another uh, level. That is, you're already ra- like you're gonna rape and murder, but also argumentatively, oh not even argumentatively, factually, you could say his first murder was an eight-year-old little boy. Is a child. Is a child. Yeah, child. Um, and then that was followed by um, her father, Tom, who he killed um, also by stabbing to death. When he finally got to Julie, he raped her, tortured her, did all the same things. 
um, that he ends up doing in Gainesville, but he does pose her laying back on the bed with her legs spread eagle and had fanned her hair all out like above mm-hmm. her head. Um, which which just is really sick. Which again, like it's amazing that all these things are happening inside this house and nobody hears it. Exactly. Like, I, that's just the one. I've already mentioned it a lot, but when I was doing the research for this, I would just kept saying, "How are they not hearing this?" Yes. My ch- one of my kids could be eating a chip in the next room, and you could hear it. And yes. I would hear the chip. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But unfortunately, it. It happens. It happens. It happens. So, finally, it comes to the day that um, Danny Rowling is sentenced to die. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, this circles back to my life. Um, You do get to have, like, someone come. Like, you you can ask people to come, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, a really good friend of mine... Her grandfather was the pastor of the church that Danny went to as a child, where he met his wife and sang in the choir. Um, And he always considered him to be his pastor, so he asked him to um, come visit him in Florida. And my friend, she told me she was like, I think when I looked at the text messages of me talking, she said that she was like 10 when it happened. And she said that they don't talk about it a lot, but every once in a while when they're together as a family, like the conversation will come back, come up mm-hmm. about how crazy this whole thing was. Oh, and how can you not talk right? about this? And her grandfather will bring it up and, you know, they'll talk and ask questions. But um, he had asked him to come. And this is my second hand telling or third hand of this. This is coming from my friend telling me what her grandfather always told her. Um, but that, um, he got there and sang a hymn, like wanted to sing an old hymn. Um, and I guess he asked, like, so I was reading other stuff too, but asked him like if he was going to be forgiven for everything that he did. Um, and he wanted to pray through and receive the Holy Ghost again, I guess, assuming and hoping and thinking that he was going to be I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I'm biased on that topic because I always feel like people do like the most outrageous stuff, and then as soon as, and then as soon as they go to prison, they say that they have found Jesus, they, which is just to me, I think, is bold. Like, but whatever. sir, you literally killed and brutally you murdered, beheaded a woman, and faced her looking at her own body. Like, I don't think, like. I don't think Jesus is going to help at this point. I mean, it could. (laughs) It could, but, like... Like, we've kind of also gone really far, like... I don't know. I just always feel like that. Every time I'm looking or (laughs) reading something or watching a documentary, I'm like, they're going to say that they But you also have to think how many of them are actually sincere and how many of them are just, like, like saying it because... It makes me feel bad that I think that way, but there are some that are like, oh, I found Jesus, and then they get out and they go and kill again. Like, oh, I'm going to kill somebody again, yeah. "Um, No, that's not Jesus, sir. That's (laughs) not even close. So, he did all, supposedly did all these things. You can look these things up, too. They're pretty easy to find. But, um, he ended up giving him a letter. Um, and in the letter, that is where he actually fully confesses to the Shreveport murders and the fact that he killed all of them. So, he literally held on to this information of if he did it or not. 
until his last possible second, which I don't even understand why. Why would you wait? I, maybe they can't. It's not gonna get extradited. Maybe back. that was his little secret, something that he could finally hold on to. And, uh, and when we're talking about this, you got to think about it. it took 12 years. Um, I don't know why. I've never understood why people can be on death row for so oh, long. Oh, It makes zero sense. I know to they me. have to do like there's several appeals and trials, yeah. but like he was on death row for 12 years. Um, so. Maybe he was, it was that day, and he's like, well, this is for real. I'm finally going to be, you know, sentenced to death. Let me just speak my piece real quick. I don't know. It just, mm, he's a weirdo. That's all we have, but he's. It's interesting. He's gone. He's gone. He was. Uh, sentenced to death by lethal injection on October 25th, 2006, which um, the anniversary of it is in a few days, actually. Oh, that is kind of creepy. I didn't even think about that. The, the, as we are sitting here recording it, um, I was thinking about that last night when I was looking at it. And for 12 years, maybe it's better. Maybe it was better for him to be on death row for 12 years thinking about what he did what he did and maybe that kind of gives the family some peace of mind i know it doesn't um it's still just sad like i just like as much as i enjoy talking about serial killers and missing person cases and individual just like gruesome horrible murders it's always hard when you just sit there and think about it because the fact that another human being, a human being could do that to another human being, like, that's just rough. I it's, just... It's rough, and that's why when you were talking about he was wanting to find faith, I kind of don't believe it because, you know, when they do sentence people to death, you're allowed to view it, which I think is kind of barbaric, but, oh, yeah. you know, do what you want. Um, The families actually came to watch it, and they, and everything that I looked up and saw and watched, it says that he looked in the faces of all the family members and had absolutely no remorse. Oh, 100%. So, he had zero remorse. I just, yeah, the, no no faith has been found. It is very much lost and gone and will never be returned because he was sentenced to death. Good riddance. I mean. Good riddance. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's also ironic, though. We put people in jail for killing people and then in return we kill them oh how the turn Turn tables tables have turned turned. (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah i mean it's it's always crazy i mean obviously this is not a podcast about the morality of the death penalty but i just for i mean but if you think about it i was thinking about that when i was reading about that about how he was kind of looking at all the all the families and just looked at every single one of them while he was waiting to die and i'm like what just ironic it's just ironic he's here for killing yeah. eight people and they're watching him be killed i don't know i guess it's also kind of a situation of if i was the family member of somebody that was killed would i want them to sit in jail for the rest of their life you don't because I don't and think and get fed 
and get food and get health care and get, you know, even if they're in solitary 24 or 23 hours of the day. It's a lot of money. Do I want them still breathing? Yeah, do I still want them breathing air and being supported? Or do Mm -hmm. I want them just gone from the face of the planet? I don't know. So, like, I don't even know how I would feel. I don't know. If you're listening out there, I hope you're listening. Um, Maybe just don't kill people and you won't have to worry about all of this. Because who else gets the death penalty other than people that kill people? That's it, right? Like, you really just have to, like... Mm -hmm. Oh, shoot. God, that scared me. (laughs) I just spilt my water bottle. Um, Yeah, I don't know who else gets the death penalty. I think that's it, but... How do you want to end this? Do we want to pause it? No, we can just end it. Okay. Well, I think that's all we have you have anything else you want to add? Um, we learned two, two rules on today's episode. Lock your doors and therapy was number two. <laughs> yes. Mental health matters and lock your dang doors, people. But that is all that we have for today. So we hope you enjoyed our first little podcast. We know there's probably bumps and it's not smooth and it's lots of rambling but you know whatever we're having fun but we would love it and enjoy it if you gave us five stars wherever you're listening to this podcast at um tell your friends and tell them that we you know it's rough but just to stick with us yeah and if you have any recommendations for like major crime cases you want to hear us cover um conspiracy theories um any paranormal stories that you've experienced personally um or anything local um if you happen to be from the shreveport area or really louisiana in general or if you're from the florida area um if you have any local cases you want us to cover go ahead let us know um because we will be a variety podcast. It will be true crime, paranormal, conspiracy theories, any 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 and all thing creepy and that makes you have the goosebumps is what you will find here. On and then maybe by the time you listen to our next episode, we'll have a Patreon set up and, an and maybe an email. Like, you'll have a place you can email us or DM us or whatever you want to do to contact us there will be ways but anyway hope you enjoyed our first podcast and can't wait for you to hear the next one thanks for listening guys bye